So we are in the book of Exodus today, and boy, oh boy, what a rough Sunday to preach a short sermon. Exodus 1 to 18. (laughs) Please turn your Bibles to Exodus 1 to 18. It's impossible to address Exodus 1 to 18 in the time that we have today, which is a shame because it's pretty much one of the most pivotal stories for Christians to know and understand. It is the big story for the Jewish people who are our relatives in the faith, in the sense of the Abrahamic faiths and, uh, and, and the, the Passover, you know, thing, things like this. The story of God's great deliverance in Exodus is, is a big part of their history and a part of our history as well. You might be interested to know, you know, when we went through the Gospel of Matthew, I learned that if you have eyes to see it, Jesus is constantly referring to the Exodus story. It's very, very clear that this story was meant to prefigure the thing that Christ would do. Okay? So in, Ex- in, in the book of Exodus, God's people are in slavery for over 400 years, and then God provides a great deliverance to them uh, by a very unlikely person who is a very nervous and insecure leader, and that's Moses. Uh, and God provided this great deliverance to his people from literal bondage in Egypt. But Jesus provided a new and better deliverance from our bondage to sin and death. You know, he brings freedom as well to us. Uh, so understanding this story, I think it's very important for understanding the whole Jesus story. This is, this is our big narrative, salvation through Jesus, salvation. That's something God has been doing for a long time. The Exodus is really the continuing story of God and how God desires to have a people for himself, to call forth his praises. And he doesn't choose people based on their righteousness, their goodness, their effectiveness. But he he saves who he will save, you know. Uh, The Lord gives this salvation as a gift to his people. God's people came into slavery uh, after Joseph, and, and uh, Joseph was forgotten. That's what we talked about last week. And God's people went into slavery because Pharaoh was very insecure with how numerous the Israelites were becoming. They went from a group of 70 people to, I forget the number. It's, it's written somewhere in my notes. An incredible amount of people. And I will find that number uh, eventually. As I said, this is a big book to cover today. It's, it's a deliverance that God provides. And, and what you see in the story is that uh, is th- many amazing things about God, such as names, names he gives himself and names that are given to him. And we also see uh, that Pharaoh is not the only one that had a hardened heart in this story. The minute these, these people, God's people, get delivered from Egyptian slavery, they start acting kind of like Pharaoh themselves, hardening their hearts towards God and groaning and grumbling. And that's something that we're all quite good at. Something we're all quite good at. This story of the Exodus is something that did not take God by surprise. Slavery in Egypt did not take God by surprise. But we saw in Genesis 15, this passage, when the Lord is talking to Abraham. He says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. That's a lot of detail in that story. And we're going to see that those details are all fulfilled. Uh, This is 
over 500 years before the Exodus happened that this is, is prophesied. So what I'd like to do this morning is to, to, sh- to share with you the, some of the things I really noticed about the story. And I just want to kind of sail through the story just using the Bible and the things that were most interesting to me and I felt God was speaking to me through so that we can get a picture of this amazing narrative. And I really encourage you, whether you're part of a small group or not, this week to read Genesis, to read, to read this story in, in the story. You could even read it from your own Bibles in Genesis 1 to 18. It's not very long. It doesn't take that long to read that. Um, and just really look at this story and think about the salvation that it, pre, that it, that it prophesies about what the Jesus would bring. So we're going to leaf through the story. Literally, we're going to leaf through the Bible and talk about this story this morning. So here's how the story goes. Joseph uh, becomes second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. We learned that last week. But many, many years later, uh, they forgot about Joseph. And Joseph's people went from 70, 70 uh, of, uh, Israelites to uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites. And that says in, in, in Exodus 1.8, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He said to the people, Look, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. We must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they may join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over the Israelite people to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. So, so they're, they're, if you will, building the infrastructure of Egypt for free as slaves for Pharaoh. But the strategy Pharaoh had was, let's keep these people down because if there's too many of them, we're going to be in trouble. But here's the thing in verse 12. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. That reminds us of, some, of, of something that uh, happened in the book of Acts. The more that the church was oppressed, the more the church spread. And here we are today, thou, you know, a couple thousand years later, the church has spread. The church has spread. And it didn't spread because uh, it had... It, it, it only spread because it was true and because of the power of Jesus. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. That reminds us of, of Genesis 1 when God said, Be fruitful and increase in number. To, to Adam and Eve. And when he talked to Noah in, in Genesis 9 and said, fill the land, subdue it, you know, be fruitful. Uh, God's people are blessed by the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is now theirs. And even in slavery, they are multiplying because they're God's people and they're blessed. And again, they're blessed because of God's love and because of who God is. So these people were, were building bricks and, and uh, they were building the infrastructure of Egypt. The king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The Hebrew midwives feared God, and they said, this is not right, and they didn't do as they were told. And when they got in trouble with, uh, with Pharaoh, they said, Hebrew women give birth really quick. We, couldn't, we can't stop, we can't, we can't do this in time. And so God was kind to the midwives, and the people kept on increasing and becoming more numerous in Egypt. Next, Pharaoh's next strategy was to command that all of the firstborn males of the Israelites be thrown into the Nile River. And this, if you really sit and think about this, 
well, it's, it's just, it's, it's horrific. It's a horrific story. It's, not, it's very similar to another story that we know from Matthew, where Herod orders that all the, all the boys be, be killed, trying to kill the Messiah that was to come. You know, Jesus is our new Moses. And the same thing happened in, 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 in history, the time of Jesus Christ. This is documented, this is known. It's not the first time that evil has tried to snuff out God's plan. Something we'll notice is that God's plan keeps on pushing forward no matter what. Because you see, God knew all the way back 530 years before when he prophesied, these people are going to be enslaved, they're going to be released, and they're going to walk out with tons of possessions. This is not a problem for God. So no matter what, um, God's purposes are are coming true in this story for his people, his covenant people. And uh, a man from the tribe of Levi, which would later become the priestly tribe, um, had a son named uh, Moses, and they did not throw Moses into the Nile exactly the same way they were told to. They put him inside of a basket with pitch on the bottom so they could float like a little boat. And baby Moses floats down the Nile, and he gets found by Pharaoh's daughter. And he gets, he gets raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the house of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's tried to destroy all the boys, but God brings his chosen deliverer right into the palace. It's crazy. Just, you can't make this stuff up. It's such an amazing story. So the, the, and uh, one, one of the cool things is the Pharaoh's daughter hires Moses' actual biological mother to, to, to feed him, to breastfeed him. And uh, so she ends up not being cut off from him either. And I just think that probably most moms would love to be paid to breastfeed, I think, you know? <laughs> That's a pretty good tip. So, <laughs> yeah, your own baby, yeah. Um, so when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's, um, Moses' mom took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The, 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 word for, the Hebrew word for to draw out sounds like Moses. That's how, how she, he got that name. So when Moses had grown up in the palace, um, he, he, he had this dual identity of being an Israelite baby who was spared because Pharaoh's daughter loved him, and he was her, his little, uh, her little pet, I guess. And Moses, having this dual identity, he notices Egyptians oppressing his own people. And when he doesn't think anyone's looking, he murders the, the person that is, a, that is beating a Hebrew slave and buries him in the sand, thinking that no one will find out. But unfortunately, people did see him do it. And he ran for his life. He ran to Midian because he had murdered this Egyptian and it, and it had become known. And he had a child out there uh, that he named Gershom, which means I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. This is, uh, this is often the identity of the people of Christ in the Bible. Strangers in a strange land, you know, in the world and not of it. You know, we are sojourners and strangers and travelers, the people of God. So Moses, Moses marries uh, the daughter of a priest of Midian, ha- has baby Gershom. Um, and during the long period, the king of Egypt that, that had wanted to kill Moses died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out for deliverance. They were crying out, and the cry went up to God. It says, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. I noticed that several times in the book of Exodus, 
this is the sequence. God hears the groaning of his people. He hears them crying out for deliverance. He becomes concerned for them, and that triggers in God to remember his covenant. It's, it's just awesome. God, God sees people. God sees their oppression. He sees what's going on with them, and it triggers in him covenant love, his covenant love, and he hears them and he delivers them. It's an amazing story. So God hears the groaning. He remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looks at the Israelites with concern. This is the same kind of motivation that God had when he came to earth as Jesus. Jesus' ministry was led by his concern and his gut-wrenching emotional experience of compassion for people. People who are oppressed, people who are in bondage. That's where all of Jesus' ministry came from, that place of concern. And just like with God remembering his covenant, Jesus... Likewise, was remembering his covenant that he had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because Jesus is God in the flesh. He was concerned about them. Moses, a uh, very famous story, he sees the burning bush when he's out and he, he goes up to it because it's a very strange thing to see a burning bush that doesn't burn to the ground. The voice calls Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. And it says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen their oppression. I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses goes into a very long back and forth with God, who am I that you should send me? And God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. That's who you are. I will be with you. And God told Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're supposed to say to the Israelites, that I am has sent you. The one who, the not, the not uncreated, eternally existent one has sent you. Finally, it says in 3.16, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. I promise to bring you up out of your misery. And that says something very interesting. That after Pharaoh uh, lets you go from this bondage, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. That's what we saw in Genesis that they would, they would leave with lots and lots of possessions. So here God is bringing his word uh, to fruition. Moses goes back and forth with God. What if they don't listen? And God gives them a variety of signs um, so that they would listen to, to Moses. Uh, then Moses begins to say, you know, pardon me, I've never been very, a very good public speaker. Not in the past, nor currently, and I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord says, who gave human beings their mouths? Again, he's saying, I am with you. Go, I am with you, go. Moses uh, get, gets the courage up to say, once again, par pardon your servant. Can you please send someone else? <laughs> now, keep in mind that God had planned this since, you know, the beginning of time, or very early in the book of Genesis. This is something God's been working on for a very long time. It would be great if Moses just went along with it. But uh, Moses, uh, <laughs> but the, it says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He says, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. So God provides, even though he's frustrated with Moses, he provides. And Moses returns to Egypt from Midian. 
to face Pharaoh. Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead, God tells him. Go in confidence, you're not being hunted down anymore. God says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. This is what God is to say to Pharaoh. Moses went before, uh, went before the Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders and the Israelites, told them everything the Lord had said, and he also showed them the signs that God had given him to reveal that this was his message. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Everyone bowed down and worshipped God through that. Moses and Aaron finally went up to Pharaoh. They said, the God of Israel says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I shall obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. The king gets so, Pharaoh gets so upset over this whole thing, he decides to say, you know, you guys are just lazy. I'm going to actually increase your workload. So it says, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is God's people Israel that had been bowing down moments before and saying, great, God's going to deliver us. Now they're saying, now they're saying, like, you've made us so that Pharaoh's even more angry with us. You're ruining our lives. So they went from, from begging for deliverance to leave us alone. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why have you brought this trouble on the people? Was this why you sent me? The Lord said, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites who the Egyptians are enslaving. I've remembered my covenant. There it is again. He hears with compassion. He remembers his covenant. He acts. This is our God. Even if the Israelites are resistant, he's still acting. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. This becomes a back and forth with Moses and Aaron coming before Pharaoh and performing the, the, what is known as the plagues, uh, the plague of blood, the plague of frogs, all these different plagues before Pharaoh, ten of them in all. And the interesting thing about these plagues is, I don't have time to go into it, but each of these plagues is a direct affront to a, to a god that the Egyptians worshipped. They were polytheistic. They worshipped gods of the water, gods of the air, gods of the sea. They had all, all these pantheon of gods, and each of the plagues is tailor-made by God to show Pharaoh that he's the one that has real authority over these things, not these gods that they worship. So the back and forth begins, and for the first five plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. He'd see the plague, he'd think about giving relief to, to, to the Israelite people, then he changed his mind and hardened his heart. But by the sixth plague, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I guarantee you that this will come up in your small group, this idea of God hardening a heart. That seems so, so uh, foreign to us. We have to see, you know, God, if it weren't for the grace of God, all of our hearts would harden towards him. It's his grace and his mercy that keeps us soft and obedient towards God. Uh, when, once, he removes that, once he removes that grace from Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart goes to its logical conclusion. Um, so he says, okay, first five plagues, you hardened your own heart. But now from six to ten, 
this matter has been fully decided, and, and I am hardening your heart. The back and forth happens, the back and forth happens. Plagues of boils, plagues on the, live, on the livestock, hail, locusts. I mean, there's, there's section after section here of, of these plagues. But it says in 10, uh, 27, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart so he was not willing to let them go. So Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will, I will never appear before you again. And that was the night of the Passover. In uh, Exodus 11, tell the people that men and women are alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So he's saying, let's fulfill this prophecy. God's given you, given you favor among the Egyptians. Ask for all this, all, all this stuff. You're going to leave not with empty hands, but with full hands, just as God said. And Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the first son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then, hot with anger, Moses left Pharaoh's presence for the last time. And it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would still not let the Israelites go. That night, the Lord said to Moses, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for an entire lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. When all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, you are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where you eat your lamb. That night you eat the meat roasted over a fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Then in 12.12, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. See, that's all the gods of Egypt that are coming before God, the false gods. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This day you are to commemorate for generations to come. And this is exactly what happened. At once, the elders all followed the, the, the rules that Moses had laid out. And they, put the, they took a spotless lamb, a year-old male lamb, and put its blood on the doorposts of their houses. And when the destroyer came to take the firstborn sons of Egypt, they passed, the destroyer passed over the people that had the blood on their doorposts. No one left their house until morning. Finally, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave, leave my people! You and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go. And also bless me. Interesting. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. 
So everyone is seeing this is the true God. We are in trouble. We're in big trouble. And uh, we, we need to let his firstborn son go. So the people left. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians just by asking. Here, here's the number. This is the number I was looking for earlier. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. 600, from 70 to 600,000. So we're talking about over a million people with women and children. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, the Lord's divisions left Egypt, just as God said would happen. So Israel came out of Egypt by their divisions, over a million people. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on a road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of God's people. The Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's heart once again was hardened, and he changed his mind again, and he took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt, all of the officers, all of the people of Egypt, and they pursued Israel. The, and uh, God's people, <laughs> as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. I guess I'm trying to, I'm tr- I'm trying to show you it wasn't by the, the goodness of the people and their steadfastness that led God to deliver them from Egypt. Their hearts were being, hard, were, were being hardened by their own sinfulness and their short-sightedness just as Pharaoh's heart had been hardened. But God had compassion on them anyway. And his compassion triggered his remembrance of his covenant they had made with his, their forefathers. And in love, in, 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 in love, God delivered them. The men followed, uh, and this famous scene, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites' company went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them. During the last watch of the night, the the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots, and they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. I can't imagine. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the warriors may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. And the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Then the first worship song in the Bible, which, which has this, uh, this, this sentence in it. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. 
When the Pharaoh's horses and, and, and armies went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through on dry ground. So this is a, a huge moment where God is making a distinction between Egypt and his people and saying, these are my people and I'm delivering them. I'm giving them a great deliverance. The next day, we, be, we begin just a small section <laughs> of, 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 teach, of, uh, of, of the history of our ancestors where they just start complaining about everything. And it's, it's, really, it's really very disturbing after what they've just seen. But uh, they come to water. The water's bitter. They grumble against Moses, saying, what are we supposed to drink? And, the Lord cri- and Moses cries out to the Lord. Um, and, and, and God says his name, I am the Lord who heals you in that place. Finally, the, in, in, verse, in chapter 16, the, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron again. And they said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, where we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. This is the people of God. So this is, this is just, God is so good and God is so faithful. He's faithful to his covenant. It's not because we're anything special. It's because he has decided to put his love on us. Just like he did with the people of Israel. I think in all the cartoons and kids in Sunday school curriculums and stuff, it's always like God's righteous people doing great stuff and Moses leading the pack. That's not the story. These are people like us. And we are people that have inherited the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the church. We are that same promise that God made to Abraham is ours, and it's been ratified through a new covenant in Christ's blood. Uh, so when, when we cry out to God in our distress, God hears us, he's concerned for us, he remembers his covenant, and he acts on our behalf. It may be through suffering, it may be through difficulty, but the reason we can sing songs like we do is because we have a faithful God who's faithful to the covenant he made with his people. So I don't know where you are at today. If you feel like you are, you know, under the thumb of a, of a, of a human tyrant, or whether you have you know, you're under the thumb of some other power. You feel like you're powerless. You feel like you are um, beholden to something else. You don't have the control over your life you'd like to have. God is a deliverer. God is faithful to his covenant promise. And God, uh, through Christ, our new Moses, is, is delivering us from sin and death in our lives. Not because of anything we've done, but because of God's great faithfulness. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. This is the the message of the Bible time and time again. From the covenant God made with Abraham where he, uh, where he had a whole ceremony where Abraham fell asleep and God swore on himself that he would keep his end of the bargain while Abraham slept, to God's people in Egypt who are complaining the whole time, even after seeing amazing miracles happen. I couldn't help but relate this to my life this week. You know, it's really easy to do. There was a, there was a time when, uh, in, in May, when really God gifted us the ability to buy a new house God allowed us to have a sabbatical uh, from ministry for three months where we were able to really regroup and be strengthened as a family. And I saw in that, I'm like, wow, God's hand is all over our lives. Like, he's doing all these amazing things. And I, I can't believe how awesome it is. And just the last couple of weeks, I feel, I feel like, why have I lost the wonder of these amazing things God has done? I'm walking around my house, my wonderful house that God's get, God gifted to us. Um, and... And, and, I'm, and I'm not feeling that, that sense of, like, God gave this to us. God loves us. I'm not, I'm not having these thoughts of, like, wow, God's hand is all over my life. I'm, for, I'm forgetting so quickly, just a matter of months. This is what we do. 
you know, and we have to constantly remind ourselves of our, the love and faithfulness of God and his covenant faithfulness to us. And we have, to, we have to, to try not to be so much like the Israelites who are delivered with a great miracle one day and are grumbling about food and water the next day and asking, I wish we could go back into slavery, you know? These are the things, this really does relate to our lives in an incredible way. Because we are the people of God. He's made a covenant with us. He is compassionate, gracious. He hears us. He sees us. And because of his covenant of love, he acts to deliver us and gives us many, many gifts along the way that we take for granted and we forget to be thankful for. And we end up saying, in the midst of all this pile of blessing, where is God? You know, what's God doing? What's wrong, what's wrong, with, what's wrong with God? He's not doing what I want him to do. While we're sitting in our beautiful house that God gave us, and, you know, this is what we do. We're so short-sighted. But that's how our people have always been. But the good news is that God has always been faithful and true. So I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. God's faithfulness. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your covenant of love that you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with us through Jesus Christ. And, and, and for us, even a, a new and better, um, superior blood of Christ, the covenant um, that you ratified in your own blood. Um, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness in history that we can point to in the scripture to give us assurance that no matter what we're going through, that you are concerned, that you remember your covenant with us. May we become a people who are gr ever grateful, Lord, ever grateful for all, everything you give and all the gifts you give. And may we be a people who come to really believe that we are the beloved of God, that we are your covenant people, and that you have placed your love on us. Um, let us believe that. Let us walk in it, Lord, daily. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.